You know, I think uh, every year I come to this time and I kind of ask the same question. What is it all about? You know, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, what's it all about? And, and I know you do, do the same thing on your job. You get up and you say, is it just the same old thing, making widgets, selling widgets, doing whatever with widgets? Is, is that what life is all about? And is, is life all about the lights, the camera, the band? Is, is that what life is all about? Is it about listening to me wax on or, 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 or carry on for a few moments? Is that really what it's about? Or is it something bigger than that? Well, about, about eight families maybe gathered in the living room back in June, I think it was June 24th of 2001. And these eight families began to pray about doing, being a part of something that would be maybe bigger than them more important than them. And I think that's where I think I want to lead us to thinking about is the bigness of our God and the bigness of His work and how what we're about here called Grace Point and the entire family and kingdom of God is is something so much bigger than us. And what you do when you go out and you sell your widgets this week, that's really not about selling widgets. It's about God and His kingdom. And how does that all fit into the big picture of God? And and what was it? It was in... July 1st, that then we came back together and we said, okay, officially, Grace Point Church is beginning July 1st, 2001. And so, as many of you all know, this is our birthday. We're celebrating our birthday, not literally our birthday, but this is the month that we're going to kind of kick off a kind of a celebration that's going to go on for several months in different times and ways, and we're going to look back before we look forward. But one of the things I want us to do is to look back really good, to take a long look back, not a quick look, but a long, in-depth look back. And let's just make sure that where we started and where we are are on the same line. And where we are going to go in the next decade is going to be as solid as we have come from in the first decade. And so thinking about this, I come back to Matthew chapter 16, where we'll be looking at today a passage of Scripture that I have preached this message no less than 11 times. So if you've been here for any length of time, about this time every year, I draw this message up on my computer again, I rework it, I relook it, I reinvestigate it, and I just re-pour over it into my life to make sure that I'm in line with this passage, that I'm understanding what a church is really is supposed to be about, as Jesus introduced the concept in the beginning. T.S. Eliot wrote a statement about the church, and I want to read that to you. It's very brief. It's poetic almost. And, and just hang on to these phrases. He says, the church must be forever building, always decaying, and always being restored. The church is forever building, always decaying, and forever being restored. I want us to understand something about the church. The church may appear as if it's some great big organization. And there is an organization that goes to it. But it is not an organization in the sense that it is the priority of many organizations. It's just going to life principle for you. It's the priority of many organizations just to get order and to get, to get some form of management. And there are many churches that do slip into some organizational mode that the biggest thing they do every year is paint the building. That the biggest thing they do is just pass a budget. 
The biggest thing that they ever do is it's just that. They just merely exist. And as long as we stay organized and we don't interrupt the flow of things because we've never done it that way before, so therefore we've got to stay on this track. But an organism is what the church is. And an organism is, is about life, it's about growth, it's about development. And I think Elliot gets that down here in this phrase so well when he talks about a church is always decaying. What, what's the whole idea of a church always decaying? Well, he points to the fact that we are an organic being, that there is constant change, that there is growth, there is pruning, there is death, there is life, there is reproduction, there is, that is going on. But there is a process that we go through constantly. And it's not like at a certain time and day and all that happens. It just happens. And we have to constantly, as a church, and myself as the lead pastor, continue to look at the church. And where is it that we are dying and need to die and need to prune and need to create room for new growth? And one of the things that we say on our website is that we're not afraid to change. So if you're looking for a church that looks the same as your mother's church, you're not looking at the right place, all right? I tell people in our North Point class, this is not your mother's church. Because this will be different, and we will be constantly changing, and we're not afraid to change. We embrace change. In fact, I say it like this, that we want to be relevant and rooted all at the same time. Relevancy is constant change. You can't be relevant today. You can be, most churches are relevant for the 1950s. But if you're going to be relevant in the, year, in the, 20, in the 2000s, there's going to have to be constant change, constant evolution, constant development. But we're also rooted. We're grounded in something solid, which is what we come to today. But he also said that we're forever building. Forever building, that means the idea of expansion. That, that gives the idea of growth. Whenever I was at the Rogers campus last night sharing this message, I thought about those early days of just having a handful of people in a room and just trying my best as everybody else was trying their best to be a church, not just call ourselves a church, but to be a church because we didn't have a facility. We didn't have a sign. We didn't have a shingle. We didn't have any of that for five and a half years of our existence. And so as we existed for the first half of our life, we couldn't be identified in a, in a zip code. We couldn't be identified in a location. We had to be identified as a people. And so that move to Rogers was one of those moves of expansion for us. As we moved to Rogers, we went to an area of Rogers that is in, isn't experiencing a lot of growth. Most multi-site churches actually reproduce or put their second site in a high-growth, high-income area. We went to a lower-income area, no-growth, plateaued area, if anything, decreasing. But we went there not because of high-growth, high-income. We went there because there was a high need. And there were many churches leaving. And we wanted to be a church that would be there. When I think about where we are as Grace Point Bentonville, as, as, as this campus, I think we are, we are a, um, a six-and-a-half-foot shoe in this building, but we're an eight-and-a-half-foot, all right? What that means is basically our church has outgrown our shoe. What do you do whenever you outgrow your shoes? You go get new shoes. You don't let your shoe dictate to how big your foot can get. Well, we have had an issue. 
that has developed here and has been developing for some time. And I'm going to expound on that much more tonight in our vision casting time. But we're in a situation to where we're out of office space, classroom space. The only reason we have three worship spaces is not because we're trying to kill each other up here on the stage or, or anybody else. is because it's just a natural necessity of where our church has grown. We were a church that built for 200 people, built for 500, and now we're over 800. So now you go figure and do the math. We have to keep using and reproducing and reusing the space again and again. But that's a church that's forever building. Again, one other statement. It's always being restored. That was another statement that Elliot said. Always being restored. And you know, I I look at many churches, and and I've not to pick on any, because we could be there in one quick bad decision. And that is this, is that if we don't continue to reignite a vision and a passion that started Grace Point, if we don't keep that flame there in our hearts, and again, if you're a guest today, this is a perfect day to be here. Because this is a revisiting of our first vision, the very first message I shared on the very first Sunday. And if you're a member who's been here for 10 years, this is a great day to be here to make sure that you are still keeping the passion and the vision alive. We're a church that I hope can be said on the epitaph of eternity about Grace Point Church is that we were a work of God. That they, there were things that God did in and about and through and, and beside that church that can only be explained by an act of God. But I realize that there are many people who are turning away from the church today. They're put out on the church. They're put up with the church. Everything. They're just tired of the church and they're walking away. A survey was done asking churches how many people come to their congregations. No longer did they ask the people, do you go to church because we have this halo effect. We think, yeah, I go to church, Easter and Christmas. And we answer the survey. That's why somewhere around 60% of Americans say they go to church. But when the survey was done, instead of calling the people and asking them, do you go to church, they called the churches and said, how many people do you have? They took this population segment, and they actually only found that 17% of that population segment went to church. That number of unchurched in our, in our culture has doubled since 1991. What we're having is we're having less and fewer and fewer people who are turning to the church, who are looking to the church. Now, again, I'm not saying look at the building. We're five and a half years without this building. They're not looking to you. They're not looking to me. They're not looking to us as having the answers of life, to helping them sort through life. And that really creates a problem because it was not the church, it was not man's interest in creating the church. It was not man's innovation that created the church. It was God's innovation that created the church. Again, if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 16. We'll be there in just a moment. Matthew 16 is is a a very important passage of Scripture. But we've asked people in our church for a number of years a simple survey. Every time somebody goes through North Point for about the past five years, Maybe, maybe not the past, past four years, that we've been asking the same questions for the past length of time. Where did you first, how did you first learn about Grace Point Church? What brought you here for the very first time? We've been asking that of our North Point new members class attendees for years. And many of you all have gone through North Point and know the survey that I speak of. 
It's interesting to find that just this last year, just the 136 people who went through North Point, all right, of the 136 people who went through North Point, when we asked you, how did you first learn about Grace Point Church and that brought you here, it's interesting that they said that 32% of them said, I was driving by and I noticed your building, all right? The tin can building, the car lot building, whatever, I've heard all office building, all kinds of references to what the building looks like. And, and so they, they come because they drive by and they see the building. So facilities are important. I can see the value of them. You can see that's the, that's the number two reason people first come to Grace Point Church. The number one reason, friends and family have invited me. Is friends and family took an interest and invested in my life that they said, hey, I know you're going through this and I don't have all the answers and I know my church doesn't have all the answers, but my church helped me through this and so why don't you come along and let's go together and let's work this life thing out together. And all of a sudden they come and they're apart and God begins to do a work. Then that is, it's at that point that we begin to see the work of God in people's lives. It's at that point that we want to look at Matthew chapter 16 today. Whenever Jesus is being an innovator here, if you will, he's introducing a new concept. Now just imagine for a moment, we're in Caesarea Philippi, all right? I know you've maybe never been to Caesarea Philippi, but so let's just imagine we're in Caesarea Philippi. And we're sitting there, and Jesus comes up to us, and we're all his disciples, and he asks us the question, who do people say that I am? Now, Jesus is thinking. He's already six months ahead because he's only six months away from dying on the cross. He's only six months away from giving all he had for all of us, okay? So he's only six months, and then only a few months away from ascending into heaven. He's been on earth for 33 years. He's been doing ministry for at least three and in that period of time, he's now at the very end of his, his, his ministry on the earth. He's, you can almost see the end. He can smell the end. It was so close. And he starts developing this exit strategy, his succession plan. He's seen this movement. There have been thousands of people flogging around him. He's healed many. He's taught many. There are many followers of him now. And so now what is the succession plan? And he starts to introduce it, and he gives the disciples a new word. Now, what new in the culture is actually the Greek word ekklesia, which is very much a part of that culture. But he introduces a new paradigm to them. He says, what I'm going to leave you with, and what I'm going to build, and what I want you guys to be about is, here it is, be ready to be wild. Here's the word. It's one word. Are you ready? I'm going to do this thing called church. Were you wild? No. The disciples, maybe they were wild. They'd never maybe heard that church phraseology in that context. It just literally means a called out group of people that are, that are, that are in alignment with something. So it could be a church is what he, he had defined it as. And so now we come to this passage. Let's begin reading in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the dist- district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say you're Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, 
you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And here it is. This passage, this unveiling, this this message that he gives to them on this little hillside in Caesarea Philippi. As he gives them this message, I see that he really brings out three key elements of what a church that is a movement of God should look like, should contain, should be a part. Now, some of this is elementary, but hang with me, all right? Because you never want to assume anything. So we're not going to assume anything today that I just didn't assume 10 years ago when I delivered this message for the first time. So we're not going to assume it with you, just like we're not going to assume it with the church planning families of Grace Point. And these elements need to be as a part of our church today. A lot of things have changed in our church. A lot of things will change in the next decade in our church. But I pray to God that these three things never change. All right? Number one, that Jesus Christ is the foundation on which Grace Point is built. First, foremost, that we've got to get our foundation down planted on the ground. It, is a, it, it needs to be a law. It needs to be a natural law as much as... as, much as uh, any foundation to a home is a natural law because of gravity and pull that we need to make sure the foundation is strong. And what, who is our foundation? Our foundation is a person, Jesus Christ. Not a denomination, not a, a form or mode of baptism, not a way you do communion, not anything else. Well, let's get Jesus Christ and let's make sure that's first and foremost in everything. Now notice this, what, he, what happens in verse 13. He says to his disciples, as if he's doing some kind of pollster, as if he's the Pew Research Council, as if, as if he is uh, George Gallup. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? We, we, when you're out there, disciples, and you're talking in the markets, and you're walking down the street, and you're in the boats, and you're catching fish, and you're bringing them in, what are people saying about me. And I think Jesus was truly leading somewhere. It wasn't so much wondering, but he you can you can see in the disciples' response that there wasn't some unanimous decision on who Jesus was. Well, he you're some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some some say you're a prophet. They had all these different answers. There were many views of who Jesus was. And you know what I'm telling you today, and we live in this day of pluralism. You can go into your world and you can go into your churches and you can even go into your businesses and you can go into your homes even, sad to say, and there will find different views of who Jesus is. Think about it. Who is Jesus in our world? If you were to ask a Hindu, he would tell you that in India, the, the holy uh, land of Hindus, that, 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 that Jesus was a teenager who grew up and went to Asia at one point and learned the deep teachings and thoughts and became a guru, almost a first century Gandhi is what some and many would believe. And that eventually you can pray and you can become a part of, or he can become a part of, Jesus has become a part of, the 300,000 deities that make up the Hindu faith. If you ask a Buddhist who Jesus is, they'll tell you that Jesus and Buddha were brothers. All right? 
that they taught the highest human understanding is universal love. Just love. And that if we all aim for this serious amounts of love, then we can become and achieve one day Buddhahood. All right? Not have, 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 have a Buddha, but you will, you will achieve Buddhahood. All right? Islam. You're just one of the prophets. Jehovah's Witness. That Jesus was formerly the, the archangel Michael. And that he came to this earth and is simply as a man, not as a divine person. He was a servant of Jehovah. He died a martyr's death and he never rose again. That's why I can't walk along beside with a Jehovah's Witness and call him a brother. Because he doesn't believe in the resurrected Christ. He doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. It does matter what we believe. It's like, can't we have more tolerance? We can have more acceptance, but tolerance waters down what we believe. Mormons, our neighbors across the street, they believe that Jesus was conceived of Mary after God came to earth and had relations with her. And that Jesus, is a good, Jesus was good enough to finally one day achieve godhood, and you can too. You can be a god of your own creation. One other that we need to be aware of, and that's the notional Christians that are out there. Notional Christians, we live with them. We are related to them. We work with notional Christians. This may be maybe the most dangerous population segment of views of Jesus out there. Because you're just enough in Christianity to, when there's a survey given, you call yourself a Christian. But you're just far enough out of Christianity that you're really not a serious Christ follower. You're notionally in agreement with Christianity, and you would identify there, but you're not in it with all your heart and all your mind and all your life. Barna says that 44% of those who acknowledge the Christian faith are actually notional Christians. That's a, that's a scary statistic to, to battle on. Now, Jesus said here, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he does beautifully, a beautiful turn. And he gets real personal. Now look with me. Everyone, if I can look eyeball to eyeball with you, this is what I would say to you, what Jesus says to his disciples. Verse 15. And he said to them, Who do you say I am? See, it's not really what a popular opinion surveys say out there about Jesus. It really comes down to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is He the foundation on which everything in your life is being built? You operate your monies. You operate your careers. You operate your life. You operate your marriage on the, on the premise that Jesus is my foundation. And all the intricacies that, 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 that plays out in our life. Who is He to you? Who is he to you? Now, I hope that we are a church that emphatically and unapologetically and unequivocally say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's exactly what Peter did. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I hope we say it clearly, lovingly. And I hope that we say it in as many different ways, not just with our words, but in as many ways as we can. I hope that we will say it enthusiastically, practically, lovingly, relevantly, and biblically. Now those right there, those five statements of how we should show God's love or, and who, who Jesus is to this world, if we would do it relevantly, if we would do it biblically, if we would do it practically, if we, if we would do those things, then I believe the world would begin to understand the foundation on which we're building our life on. So let's break them down and how we can do that enthusiastically. 
How do we do this? Enthusiastically. We show Jesus off through worship. We've got to show him off through worship. You know, I'm not saying come in here and pretend. I'm not even saying as you live out your life, pretend. Because enthusiasm, as many of you all know, means God within. Let's let the God within come out. But you know what happens whenever the God within is just bubbling out of me? All of a sudden, I can't keep my lips quiet whenever the band is singing. I can't keep my hands down. And listen... I grew up Baptist where this was charismatic, all right? And so I went to Africa, and finally I could do this, all right? And I won't even show you video of me dancing in Africa. But uh, enthusiastically is where I'm so excited about Christ, I can't keep it in. That's what happens in worship. Real worship is not watching a band perform. Real worship is bringing ourselves before God a holy God, full of Him, and letting Him come out of us, back to Him. I love the way A.W. Tozer said, he said, real worship is, among other things, a feeling. A feeling about the Lord our God in our hearts, and we must be willing to express it. There's an expression element when it comes to worship. We as Grace Point Church... If we're going to show Jesus off enthusiastically, we'll do it through worship. So we want to make sure this worship is relevant, but we also want to do it practically. How do you practically show Jesus off? You do it through hands-on, life-changing ministry. And I love the fact that our church for the past, I would say, five years or maybe maybe four years, I can't remember exactly when the economic uh, downturn happened, but we started a a ministry called Hope uh, Hope NWA. We just want to keep hope alive in northwest Arkansas. And so we started looking for ways, and well beyond the economic downturn and the layoffs of, of northwest Arkansas. But we've kept that baby alive. And we have gone and done many different things. In fact, uh, this past uh, uh, spring, we went into uh, like eight or uh, six to eight different homes and did $10,000 worth of renovation in homes, helping single mothers get their homes to to a better standard of living. Just pour it on them in love as any way that we could. You know what happens the very next week? A tornado, an F5 tornado rips through Joplin. We just spent $10,000 the week before. You know what we did? We didn't know how we were going to do it, but we mobilized people, over 75 people, and we made resources available, and we went to Joplin for the next seven days, and we did all that we could until finally it was really just bulldozers coming in and bulldozing over houses, and we just loved on people. Do you know how we're going to show Jesus off? It's not going to be just through us wearing the I Love Jesus t-shirts, okay? It's going to be actually being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. How can you do it? Do it practically. How do you show Jesus off? Showing practically. Also lovingly. We're going to do this through, how do you show Jesus off? You do it lovingly. You're going to do that through fellowship or through community, all right? Community is important. Connecting with other people. Now, listen, we've got three gatherings here. We've got one gathering in Rogers. So we've got four gatherings, two different days. We have people moving in, moving out, coming in, coming out. And you know what? Every one of you who call Grace Point home, okay? Now, listen, please listen on this one. It's going to be you taking the initiative to look around your life and look around where you're sitting every week when you come in here to engage people eyeball to eyeball, get to know them, know their name, know their life, get to know their story. I say it like this, own your zone. Own your zone. Get to know your community. You're going to do this through Body Life Group, but own your zone when you're in here 
week after week. So own your zone. Take the first 10 minutes and pour yourself in. And then get into a body life group. That's how you get connected. All right, let's go on. How do we show Jesus off as our foundation? We do it relevantly. Relevantly. And what does that look like? That looks like outreach. That looks like evangelism. A scary word for many people. But one of the things we need to understand about about this process of taking a person who is far from Christ to a fully devoted follower of Christ, that there to there is a lengthy process sometimes. We're all at different points on a spectrum. Some are very, very far from Christ, and they need to be brought slowly, methodically, lovingly, patiently to faith in Christ. And some, listen to this, because this became more real to me this week than at other times. Some are really close. They're all around Christianity, and they're all around the church, but they're still not followers of Jesus. They're still not, they've never been born again. I got an email this past week, and I asked her for permission to share it, and she gave me the permission. But Lindsay Ferguson is her name. She went through our last North Point. She indicated there that she was already a Christian, and she was joining the church by by letter. And then she writes me this email. I want to shoot you a quick email to let you know that I filled out the form to be baptized this Sunday. And I just wanted to let you know a brief reason why. I was saved, she put in quotations, and baptized at a very young age. My parents are very strong believers and servants, and I always always was just in church. I kind of grew up as the girl who got everything, all the awards, all the honors, all the grades. Nothing ever went wrong with me. I made great moral choices and have a very clean slate. As far as my past, the sad part is that during all that time, I had so many convictions that although I had everything going for me, I never had a relationship with the Lord, a true, sincere, and I like this next phrase, consuming relationship. I let it go and just try to forget it all. I go through college, same Same story, all the while a looming and growing conviction is still very present. After attending Grace Point for a while, I felt stirring inside me that I could not ignore and did not want to face. I have never truly committed uh, to a relationship with Christ. But I felt so afraid of what people would think. Lots and lots of people that are in my life think I am perfect and I am not, exclamation mark. Now, how could I ever admit this to anyone? A few weeks ago, I finally was so convicted after church one day that I prayed and prayed and prayed and asked Christ to completely consume my life. And I meant it. For the first time, I told Justin, her husband, and we talked and prayed a long time, and I felt that I need to be baptized again. And it would really mean a lot to me. And I have a testimony now. For the first time in my life, I already have been able to share it. Very grateful, very changed. Beautiful story. And you know what? Tonight we're going to have over 30 more beautiful God stories of people going through the baptistry. Tonight is a celebration of a church that wants to present Christ relevantly 
to an unbelieving world. And this is a process. Lastly, biblically, we're going to show Jesus off biblically in this world through transformation. Through transformation and discipleship. Biblically, through transformation and discipleship. 2,800 business people, Dallas business people, were surveyed by uh, Howard Hendricks asking them, the message you heard on Sunday morning, does it mean anything to you at 8 o'clock on Monday morning? You know the sad fact that out of that 2,800, 82% of them said there was no connection between what I heard on Sunday and how I live on Monday. That is a tremendous disconnect. I want Eric, I want Pete, I want myself to be always presenting messages that are timely, relevant, biblical, that help your life become transformed followers of Christ. That word discipleship, we're even trying to steer away from that because that has so many connotations. We want transformed believers. That's what a disciple is. All right, quickly. Jesus Christ is our foundation, but number two, Jesus Christ must be our foreman. He must be the foreman on which we are being built. All right, when you look at this passage, you, know, you have all this dialogue with, with Peter and the disciples. We learn one thing. You know how you build a church? One person at a time. One person. One believer at a time. Jesus looks as Peter speaks up and says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He looks at Peter and says, Peter... His name was Simon up until then. He calls him Peter. Peter means rock. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter wasn't the first pope. He was just the first one to really, Jesus say, you are going to be, you're going to be, okay, Jesus, Peter pastors Jerusalem church, if you will, and he's the first preacher and 3,000 are saved. And the church continues to grow and continues to grow. But it, you know what it happens? One person at a time. One person at a time. Jesus said, he said in verse uh 18, I tell you, Peter, I, I, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, here's a little bit of a contradiction when you look in scriptures. It, it at least apparently appears like a contradiction because Paul said this. This is an, a different way of saying it. He said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Now, hang with me. Who's building the church? Is it Jesus or is it Paul or is it Peter? And the only way I can rationalize and bring these two verses together is this, is that Jesus is the foreman, but we are the builders. Jesus is the one calling the shots. He's got the blueprint. He's got the plan. He's got the idea. He knows where he wants his church to be and to go and what he wants his church to do. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus doing what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus will build his church, but you know what? He needs you and he needs me. He wants you and he wants me to be a part of the building process. Now, if it's just us and we're just here to be entertained and to watch the band perform, jump up and down, and we're just here to get our kids into a classroom to hopefully get some morals and values into them, we're missing it. We need to be asking God, God, how can I be one of your builders? How can I be one of, one of your framers? How can I be adding electricity into people's lives? Life, giving, how can I do that? We have a purpose statement around here. It's not that uncommon. I want you to say it with me. Throw it up on the screen, guys. We have a great commitment. Say it with me. We have a great commitment to the great commandment. 
and the Great Commission to build a great church for our great God. You know, I've had people actually write me and say, you know, we're not building the church, Jesus is building the church. And I understand that. He is the foreman. But He uses every single one of us to build the church. And the way this is going to be a great church is not because we have a great preacher or a great band. It's because we have great people. And I'm not blowing smoke your way. This will be a great church when we are all committed to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church for our great God. He deserves it. He he wants it. And He wants to use you and I to do it. He's the foreman. He's our foundation. But He's also our future. He's our future. Where are we going from here? Can you imagine when there's eight families sitting in a living room and I'm sharing this message for the first time and they're wanting me to tell them where we're going to be in ten years? Would I have ever guessed here? I couldn't have. I couldn't have got one thing right. I'll tell you that right now. I had no clue whatsoever. The only thing I did have a clue about is I wanted this to be a Christ-honored church on mission as God is on mission. You think, where is God on mission in this passage? Notice what he said in this passage. He says, I will build my church, but what does he turn around and do? He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. There's this correlation that happens. When we are living for Christ and He's our foundation and He's our foreman and He's giving us the direction and also He is our future, what He did is He reached into His deep heavenly pockets and He reached over and He gave us His keys. Now I use this illustration every year. But it means something and I think it communicates you take my handful of keys here, you've got my Jeep, you've got the, the, the church keys, you've got my home key, you've got a filing cabinet key, you've got, I think, another filing cabinet key, but I can't throw it away because I wouldn't be able to get into it if I ever find it. And then you've got our van key, and that's it. You've got my keys, okay? Now, if you take these keys, you can virtually get into any part of my life. You can get into my house, you can get into our savings accounts, you can get into our lock boxes, you can get into anything with this set of keys. If I give you my keys, Mr. Hannah, if I give you my keys, I better trust you. I better believe in you. And you better have a reason for having my keys. All right? Jesus, listen, gave you, gave me, gave Grace Point Church the keys to his kingdom. And he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He's given us authority, accessibility, accountability. All of that comes with his keys. All right? All of that is a part of holding his keys. And so because we're holding his keys, don't you think we need to be storing up in heaven what can go to heaven and focusing on what can go to heaven? All right, now think about that. What we bind on earth, we bound in heaven. What we loose on earth, we'll be loose in heaven. He's making this correlation. There's this direct deposit. Now, what on earth can be directly deposited to heaven? The only thing is people. We better be focused on the people of Northwest Arkansas, the peoples of this world who are un uh, who are unbelievers, who don't know Christ. We need to be focused on those things that can be transferred to heaven. Stonebriar Community Church, a church started in 1998, October 14th, by founding pastor, a 60-year-old founding pastor, Chuck Swindoll, in Frisco, Texas. 
60 years old, starting a church. I don't even want to think about that. Started with 100 people, fewer than 100 people. The first night, whenever we were starting, this is 1996, we started in 2001. You better believe we were living in Africa, and I was drawing from every source I could over the Internet, which is sloppy dial-up at best, and, uh, and I was doing everything I could to get as much information on starting churches. I came across Stonebriar and the fact that he had started. I found the message, the very first message that he said, and the very first statement that he said in that message. Chuck Swindoll said this, all of us are here tonight because all of us are here who, who are here are interested in the beginning of a ministry that has never existed before. But by the grace of God, will outlive all of us. I hope to God that we're a church that is so committed to reaching our world, so committed that we will not waver. I had a friend of mine call me on Friday. A friend of mine that dates back 30 years. I'm going to call him Larry just for his own identity reasons. And he called me and said, is this Mike McDaniel? I said, this is, this is he. And I said, well, which one are you wanting? He said, because there's several Mike McDaniels, he said, the preacher Mike. I said, well, I guess I'm the guy. And, uh, and he said, you'll never believe who this is. This is, and he gave me his name. And he said, I'm about to commit suicide unless you tell me why I should live. And I hadn't seen Larry, and I, I'm trying to guess 30 years. He dropped out of school, didn't even finish school. So we talked on the phone for just a little bit. I agreed. He, I, I got him to agree to meet with me, and we met. And we met Friday afternoon here at the church. We talked for about an hour and a half. We prayed together. I thought we were really going in the right direction. And it was really interesting in that conversation. You know what he said? He said, I didn't know where else to turn, and I remembered there was an article in the paper about a church and what they were doing in the community. And what they were doing in the community, and your picture was beside it. And he said this, because he knew me then. He said to himself then, he said, if God can help him, maybe he can help me. And so he called me. Now, I wish to tell you that all went well, but he actually attempted suicide Friday night. I got a call from the hospital on Saturday morning. He did make it through it. He is still at Springdale Hospital. You can pray for Larry. Name's not, not his name, but God knows his name. And pray for Larry. But the point is this, is that I want to be a church. When this world is looking up from the bottom, when these people are looking across the horizon, they're looking for a place of hope. I hope that they'll look into your life and they'll say, if God can help them, surely he can help me. If there will be stories written about us not just for paper sensational reasons, but so that lives can be changed for all eternity. Let's be a church where Jesus is our foundation, Jesus is our foreman, but Jesus is also our future, and people are what Jesus is about. Let's pray together. Father, it is not about us. It's not about us. It's about you. And we want to build everything to you and for you, for your glory. And so, Lord, as a church, this is a celebration day of what you've done in the past 10 years. But, Lord, 
what will you do in the next 10 years? How will you use this body of believers, just like the, the 14 people gathered in the living room? How will you use us as you use them in the next decade? Pray that we'll never lose our foundation, never lose you as our foreman, and we'll never lose you as our future in which we're building and growing because it is about you, Lord, and it's about loving and caring for people. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.